If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of John. Chapter 14 is where we will be today as we're looking at the names and the titles that Jesus gives himself. I hate saying goodbye. How about you? You know, telling people, we'll see you. Yesterday we had to do that. And so we took a quick trip down to uh, Carthage, Missouri, and uh, visited with my son and his family uh, for his birthday. And it's just hard to say goodbye to, to, you know, to him and his wife and especially the grandkids. And you, you want to just throw them in the car and take them with you rather than have to leave. Uh, it, it's, now, it's not that I have separation anxiety. Well, maybe it is. Um, but I just love being with people like that. I, I love spending time with them, I, I, and I don't want to walk away, and I don't want to leave. You just want to stay there as long as you can. So the question is, how long does it take to say goodbye to somebody? I mean, and if you're, you're at the airport and your plane's taken off, you've you got maybe just a couple seconds goodbye and get going, right? And, and you, you can't even really go to the plane anymore and say goodbye. You, you've got to say goodbye at the beginning of the security area. But maybe if you had a, a German grandmother, goodbyes lasted a little bit longer. You know, hey, hold on, hold on. So she had to go to the kitchen and, and make some stuff out of the refrigerator and make sure you had something that you could have snack on your way back home. And, and then she would, you know, kind of talk with you a little before, before you get outside the, the door, whatever it was. One person, however, has written that there is a, in the Midwest, there is what they say is the nine stages to a proper goodbye. Well, I mentioned goodbyes not only because of yesterday, but also because Jesus is now in, in the scripture here in the book of John. He is, he's smack dab in the middle of telling his disciples goodbye. And that's where he is. I mean, the passage of Scripture is in between John chapter 13 and through 17. They're commonly called the upper room discourse because it's this long section where they've gone in to have their meal, the last supper. But John really stretches it out because it's Jesus' final way of saying, I'm leaving you. All right, and, and it takes place there, and, and just as that Passover is going through. And so during this dialogue, Jesus really has two main goals that he wants to get across. The first one, I think, is this. He wants to prepare his disciples for what is about to happen later that night. And he wants to, I think, also to, to calm their anxiety, because it's going to be at an all-time high here in just a few hours. I believe the same thing is true for us today, that Jesus wants to calm all of our anxieties so that we can, we can live wisely in the challenges and the changes in life. So listen to his reassuring words here in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to repair a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas interrupts. And, he, and Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. I think there's a lot that is said there. And some people, they hear those words and in their mind, they kind of separate into, into a, maybe a here and a there, an earth and a heaven, a, a, a now and a then. And we kind of have this separation that goes off. And, and my mind begins to go into not only just a here and a there, but maybe into a, a spiritual realm and a physical realm, those things that we can understand physically where we are right now in the tangible, in the material world, those things that we know we can grasp a hold of, and those things that are kind of, uh, they're spiritual in aspect, they're ethereal, they're, you really just can't get a hold of it. Jesus is saying, because I am the way, and I'm the very real or true spiritual realm of life, I'm going to offer you this abundant life that you really have no idea yet is out there. And he's going to prepare that for us. And so let's dip into this spiritual realm, this, this new kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. It's, this is the kingdom that John the Baptist was talking about. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. So what is this kingdom all about? Well, to begin with, I think the kingdom, it, it deals with our own anxieties. It's going to try and remove those things from it. But there are those anxious hearts in this world. Sometimes it's based upon just the circumstantial diagnosis of what's going on in our lives. I mean, the, the disciples, they were getting anxious because Jesus is talking about leaving them. He's, and, and, and they really don't feel like they're ready for him to take off and leave. And they'd like to have him stick around for a little while longer because they're really not ready to do the work that he's been trying to train them up to do, which I find kind of humorous because just prior to this statement, they've been arguing about who gets to be the leaders in this kingdom. All right, Who's going to be you know, the top dog next to Jesus and sit on his right and on his left? And, and so they're, they're ready for positions of power, but only when he's there. But Jesus has just announced that there was also a traitor in their midst in this, these four chapters here. And uh, they wondered who this traitor might be. Now, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, we recognized it was Judas, and, and Jesus told him to go do quickly what you're about to do. But the boys didn't understand that. And so, as Jesus mentions that there's going to be somebody who's going to betray him, they're saying, is it me? And I think I would even question myself, would I, would I get to a point where I might betray him? But that's what they're all asking. And they're looking at each other, and at this point, nobody's pointing fingers at, it's going to be Peter, it's going to be, we know it's going to be Judas. No. They're asking, is it me? Am I the one who's going to do this? They were all astonished, however, when Jesus, when he even says that Peter would deny a relationship of knowing him three times by the time the rooster crows in the morning. Surely not Peter. I mean, Peter, he's, he's always the one who's brazenly out there willing to do anything and everything, right? And they reluctantly saw Peter as probably the head of the class, the one who's you know, going to take over when the teacher steps out of the room, that he's going to be there leading. But for Peter to, to fail Jesus and to deny that he even knows him, man, that doesn't make sense. So if Peter could do that, what might I do? I think even today we wrestle with the same type of anxieties 
I mean, how are we going to make it in the future? We're worried about next year and where gas prices will be, where utility prices will be. We're worried about where, you know, all, all these different things, and we speculate. Well, we're great at speculating, aren't we? And we, we then create all these fears. And, and, and so in, in our text, what we're seeing is, is that we're beginning to see the, the, the fallibility of those who were the closest to Jesus. They weren't perfect men. These men, they also had their own faults, their own weaknesses, their own failures. And right now in this setting, they're examining them themselves. And I think those who are most anxious in our day are those who believe in the news media, who put stock in all the, the, the statistical reporting and, and, and the conjecture that is out there. And we, we rely on the word of man rather than on the word of God. Now, now, I'm not asking you to ignore everything that's going on in our world because it, you have to be aware of what's happening. But don't bet your life on it. The only thing that is solid and sure and true is what the Word of God gives us. You know, I think the isolation initiative that we've been going through has created more anxiety in people. You know, the quarantine stuff that everybody has to be isolated by themselves or all together in their family. We've seen a lot of things that have taken place because people then begin doing a lot of thinking rather than living. Social media has become this bastion of propaganda which is ever increasing the anxiety of everybody around us and it's destroying what little peace of mind that we may have. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is going to bring a calmness to the anxieties that we might have. You don't have to worry about these things. But yet we want to. You see, I think there's a remedy or a solution to that. And it, it's the Father's house that Jesus is talking about. It's about His Father's heart and, and the help that we're going to receive from Him as well. When Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father, Jesus answered him. He said there in verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Now listen to what he says. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, look, don't you get it? I am He. You should look to me and, and don't worry about these things. I mean, it helps us better understand the familiar statement that we see in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus is the way to get to the Father, and he takes those who believe in him into his Father's house. Jesus is the fulfillment of truth. And boy, our world needs to have truth today, don't we? We don't know who's lying to us and who's telling us the truth, do we? And Jesus enables his disciples to have a life that opens a way for us to receive our Father's help. You see, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But sometimes we just don't get it and we ask, how? So as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and that's been our big challenge for us, he wants us to walk in his way follow in his steps, we begin this journey to our Father's house because he not only knows the way there, but he is the way there. 
And that nobody's going to get to go to the Father's house in heaven except through Him. I mean, we don't know a back street that's going to get us around the corners and nobody will see us and we can slip in. You know, it, it, that's not it. We can't climb and drop in. We, there's no way. The only way in is through Him. And so we continue on our pilgrimage by learning more truth about Jesus and the Father. And, and so we enjoy both the way and the truth, and we share in the life of Jesus, and so we obey Him and follow in His will. I mean, that's the thing we talked about last week. At the very end, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go into the world and make disciples, all right, baptize them into the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, and then do what? Teach them to party in life. No, teach them to obey everything he's commanded. That's what we need to do. We need to be obedient because we just don't tell people what to do. We also have to be doing what we're telling them to do. It was easy for me to look at my children when they were younger and say, don't do that. Do you see your mother or your father doing that? We don't do that. Do as I do as well. Now that takes a lot of guts, I think, at times, because then we have to say, well, your dad was wrong. Look what he did. But we try to be obedient to God and follow in his way because Jesus is the only way to our final home, the Father's house. <clears throat> and that's what gives us the courage to travel in this road of life in which we have so many obstacles that are out there. It's important for our spiritual health that we spend time in God's Word on a daily basis. Not just on Sundays, but you come and you, you open up that, that wonderful what we call Holy Bible, that good book, and we take it with us on Sundays and we open it up and maybe we'll read some words in it. But then when we head home, we fold it back up and we put it on the coffee table or up on the shelf or in some prominent place so we'll remember to get it next Sunday. No, you've got to be in the Bible reading it every day. It's got to be a part of our lives. And when we spend time in God's Word, it reminds us of God's heart and His love for us. In its pages, we are told what is important to God and then what should be important to us as well. And so while we're really identified, while Jesus is really identified as the Father, in this passage of Scripture, He definitely says He and the Father are the same. If you've seen me, you've seen Him. We're the same. You see... Throughout history, prophecy and poetry, we see God's loving protection and His providence in the lives of people that love Him and follow Him, in spite of our stubbornness. He still wants to bless us, and I find that amazing, just as Carrie's message. It's amazing that He would step in and intervene when, when He could just say, okay, Gary, you're throwing your life away. Or not Gary, but Carrie. And yet he does. Jesus is the way to the Father's house, and he's the truth about the Father's heart, but he's also the one who brings us to the Father for help. And he places his helper inside us, the Spirit of God. And it's been said that if the will of God never leads us, where the grace and power of God cannot help us and see us through. 
God is always willing to be right there with you to give you whatever kind of help you need. God didn't give us his word so that we can explain it to others, that we might really be able to experience it ourselves. And in the process, they would see his word being lived out in our lives. James even tells us in verse, chapter 1 of verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I've often wondered why James put that in his letter. See, this James that wrote that text out is the brother of Jesus. And he saw Jesus living out his life by being obedient to the Word of God on a daily basis. While he himself was probably reading it and deceiving himself by not doing it and thinking he had everything right. The key truth is this, <clears throat> and Paul writes it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul understands it this way, and I think maybe it helps us to live as well. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I don't remember that Paul was up on one of those other two crosses, because those guys died, right? But Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, Paul understood that when he sacrificed his own will and his own desires, he crucified himself and he united himself with Christ in his faith and the grace and the goodness. And he's connected with Jesus then in this crucifixion of his own self, surrendering himself to live for God. You see, God's Son, God's Word, God's grace, God's Spirit, they don't simply encourage us to live. It enables us. When you can't do the step that you need to take on your own. God gives you the ability to do it. We have to recognize how He works in us. You may have noticed that over the past year and a half or so, with all the socially distancing process that we've got going on, the church has not been canceled. Matter of fact, the church has survived. And I think in some sense, the church has even thrived in this world where things are breaking down. I mean, look where we are today. Now, we may not be packing out the stadiums, but what's happening is those who are putting their faith and their trust in Christ, there becomes a more real world for them of Him living in it with them. The church has not only survived in the midst of this pandemic, we understand that God is good and His people march on in the midst of all the anxieties around us and we can find peace. Now, if we want to look at another aspect of this kingdom, it's the kingdom of fruitful hearts. I'll give you a little bit of hint. Next week, Rob's going to bring a message about this part, so just kind of throw that out there. Jesus is the source of life that bears fruit. All right, and more fruit, and, and an abundance of fruit. And so we need to look to Him for that source. But in this, we are set apart from sin. 
And so in order for us to receive God's blessings, we need to be the type of people that He chooses to bless. And those people are the ones who are set apart in this world. So what John describes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, all that is not from the Father, but is of this world. Right? Instead, we're to walk with Him through all the anxieties, through all the struggles, through all whatever it's going to be. But if the people who mock the things of God are influencing our hearts and our minds and we believe them, then we forfeit, really, I think, greater blessings that God wants for us. And if we're walking in the shadows of darkness and not in the light, then we shouldn't expect God to do things for us. So how we live is really important. So John writes to us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, and he says this. And I think really important. Pay attention to these words. Whoever says, well, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, and in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is also a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the light... And the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I think we've got a lot of that in our world today. We've got a lot of Christians who say they're Christians, that they're following Christ and that they're walking in the light, but they hate the people around us. We can't have hatred in our hearts for anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. And so he tells us, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We've got a lot of blindness going on in our world today, don't we? It's not just physical, but it's also spiritual. Now, I know that harvest season has been underway for quite a while. And I've got friends who travel on the harvest uh, road with their combines. They start way down south in Texas, and they move their way up to North Dakotas, and they're, they're harvesting every year. And they're just now getting ready to finish up things and head back home. Now, many people are beginning to think about what they're going to plant next year in their gardens or their crops. So I want to kind of just examine a few things that need to be done prior to putting that seed back in the ground. If you want a healthy garden, did a little research. Some of it is some things I've learned in the past from my grandparents and my father, but I went online and pulled some other things out. So here's what it takes. If you really want the ground to be the best place to, to have a harvest that's going to just bring more fruit for you, To begin with, you may want to test the soil and and determine what nutrients the soil is lacking 
or maybe has an overabundance of those organic matters. What is it that you're putting this seed into? You may want to add some compost. I mean, compost, is this, this healthy soil is always rich with compost. And I read something interesting about compost. It's this ongoing investment in your life. And one, one gardener said compost is basically like this. It's like a savings account. All right? He says, you add money, or in this case, manure and straw and grass clipping and weeds, etc., into your compost pile. And as a result, your compost grows and it builds interest and it pays dividends. And your dividend is this dark, rich soil conditioner, which we call compost. And it's good for growing healthy crops. So then you may need to amend some of the soil problems in your area and adjust the pH level and the soil nutrients. And then there's a lot of study that needs to be done so you know what plants are going to survive and thrive in that specific soil environment. All right, So you need to know what you can put in there. And so as you do that, the next thing that you want to do is you want to disc it or till it. You want to turn the soil and the dirt and that'll help with the aeration so that there'll be good growth of your crop after, after you've planted. Some gardeners, they like to add mulch just before or after their seeds are planted because that will help prevent the evaporation of the moisture, which the, the seed really needs, and it keeps it in there, protects it a little bit, and it, and it sets it apart and, and for, for the, the good growth. But there's also another thing that happens. Weeds. You know about weeds, don't you? I mean, they're everywhere, aren't they? And weeds are going to grow up, and they're going to appear, and you just you have to trust this. They will be there. There's always going to be a weed in a garden, unless you do something about it. All right? So, to get rid of those unwanted, voluntary things that grow up in your garden, you're going to need to separate them from that which is good. And I think the fruitfulness in your life is similar to that. If you want the Word of God to produce something good in you, you're going to have to take some time and prepare the soil of your heart. You're going to have to make sure that, that the pH levels in it are appropriate and the, and the proper nutrients are there rather than just letting the world throw its stuff at you. You may have to study a lot about who you are and allow the Word of God to, to dictate what needs to change so that when the seed is planted in your life and those weeds begin to choke it out, you know which ones to pluck and pull away. And then the kingdom of fruitful hearts really produces a lot. You know, we need to delight in the God's Word. And, and almost every verse in Psalm 119 speaks about the Word of God in some fashion and, and, and how God's truth is, is meant to be right there. So I want to look at just a few things. Psalm 119 says that he would rather have God's Word than food. Now, we're going to have a good dinner later today. But the Word of God is greater than the food that we would eat. So in verse 103, he tells us that. He, he says he would also rather have God's Word than wealth. Now, I like money. It, it buys me things, right? I, I've got purchase power when I've got more money. I, ca I can do more things, right? But the psalmist says, I, I love God's Word more than that mighty dollar bill. 
And so he tells us that in verse 14 and 72 and 127 and 162. And he also says he would rather have God's word than sleep. Now, man, I, I'm always wanting a little bit more sleep. All right? We had a friend that for years would say, just three more minutes, just three more minutes. It's all, all she wanted was three more minutes of sleep. We, we want sleep, but yet, do you desire God's word more than sleep? Would you be willing to stay up and deprive yourself of closing your eyes so that you can spend time reading it? That's what this psalmist is saying. And he tells us that in verse 55 and 62 and 147 and 164. I mean, he, he says that even sleep is not important to him compared to the Word of God. And finally, he also says that he would rather have God's Word than even friends. Man, uh, that's... That's tough. Because maybe you've got some friends that you would never separate yourself from. I had one call me on our way home last night. He says, you want to do breakfast in the morning? Sure. He says, I'll be going through Union about 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you make that a little later? I would, you know, but... Yeah, we think about it. You know, you, you love your friends, and they're in your life. And some of you have had friends your entire life. They've been lifelong friends. But our psalmist is saying that I would rather have the Word of God than have my best friend there. We need to ask ourselves, do I love God's Word that much? Hmm. Third, there's the kingdom of the rebellious hearts. You know, in this kingdom, these people, are, they're always rejecting the way. Listen to what John 6 says towards the end of that chapter. He says in verse 60 through 66, When many of disciples heard it, they said, I mean, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh, it's no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, he says, are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus, he throws a little side note. He says, Jesus knew from the very beginning those who, were, who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And then there's this little last sentence there. After he makes all this statement, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, Jesus is the way. And if we don't walk with him, we don't finish. Remember, this statement here in John 6 occurred shortly after Jesus fed the 5,000. 
thousand. Some people were attracted to Jesus as long as he kept their bellies full. But when it came time to follow in obedience, mm, that's a little too difficult. And what do they do? They abandoned him. They stepped off the way. And then in this kingdom of, of rebellious hearts, they also reject the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. So in John chapter 12, verse 37 through 43, it says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. They've been watching the miracles, and it's like, okay, what else you got? We don't, we don't get it. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, which was this, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said in these things because he saw the glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Are you afraid to confess before other people that you believe in Jesus? Even though you do believe it, are you afraid to confess it and to say it because of what the, the people might say or do or mock you or that they might kick you out of some kind of employment or place of, of social activity? I mean, what's going on here? That's what's happening. They wanted to believe Jesus. They, they saw everything about it, but they're like, hey, I can't say anything because if I do, the guy is in charge. They're going to kick me out. And they would rather make the guy in charge happy than God. Now, the middle chapters in the book of John, they're full with all kinds of miracles and things that, that, that Jesus did to, to authenticate his authority and his position of being Christ and Messiah, and that he came from the Father. And, and, and in those things, he demonstrated his power over death, disease, even it, the creation itself. And yet... Where do we find ourselves? So Jesus warned them there in verse 35 of John chapter 12. He said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. And then he says, The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. And so they rejected the truth by refusing to listen to him. They liked his miracles. They didn't like his words because it demanded change. It demanded that they stand up against the opposition. Jesus is the truth, and he preached the truth, but they wouldn't believe him. Another thing in this rebellious heart kingdom is, is the fact that they also were rejecting life. And so the third and final rejected is recorded there in John chapter 18 and 19. Though Jesus is the life, they chose death over life, and they crucified him. So in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 14, it says, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said 
to the Jews. This is Pilate. Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest then answers. Remember, this chief priest, he's the priest of God in the temple of Israel. And he says, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. But in this spiritual kingdom, there is another aspect. There is part of the kingdom of repentant hearts. In our Lord's parable about the prodigal son there in Luke chapter 15, we, we see this loving father uh, there, in this, this, and it describes the spiritual condition of all who, who have turned their backs on God and are wasting their lives just pleasing themselves and doing whatever they think is fun and fanciful. Sinners are lost, but Jesus is the way to the Father's house. And all they have to do is, is walk with Him. Sinners are uninformed, but Jesus is the truth about the Father. They're also spiritually dead, but Jesus is life, and He shares it with those who are willing to trust Him with their lives. And this wanderlust son... As he went and squandered his life in wild and loose living and, and just indulged in anything and everything that he thought might bring him pleasure, his life turned into a mess that was all his fault. But the mess of his life was not what motivated him to go back to his father. See, it, it wasn't the badness of the sinner but it was the goodness of his father that made him return home. God's kindness, we are told, is what leads us to turn away from the allures of this world and to adjust the course of our life and to walk along his way in his truth and to understand how we could fully receive his life. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us this. Paul says, Or do you presume of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, that prodigal son, he understood it. It wasn't because he wanted to get out of the mess that he was in that he went back home. He could have gone anywhere else. But he went home to his father because of the kindness of his father that he knew that his father was better than what he was in life. And God's kindness as well leads us to repentance. Perhaps you've never consciously placed your trust in Christ. Today would be a good day when you can admit that, that you're a sinner. And that you need Him. That you need to walk in His way. And you need to allow His truth to impact your life. And that His life that He wants to give you is something that only He can give. 
You can believe the truth that Jesus came from heaven, he lived as a sinless life, and he died in your place so you can have your sins forgiven. If you repent of your sins and you confess Jesus as Lord, he is gracious and he is kind, and you'll receive that gift that he wants to give you, life that is everlasting. On the other hand, maybe you've already put your trust in him, but you've not been really fully obedient to it. And before you become like some of those other disciples that thought his obedience to his words was a little too difficult for you to do, that you would just walk away, man, maybe we ought to respond like those 12 did. And they said, we, we don't have any place else to go. Where are you? You have the words of life. You see, Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he wants you to embrace that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. So thankful for Jesus. What a mess we've made. We've established our own kingdoms here, it seems like. But yet, we are so restless that even that kingdom is trembling and it's falling apart. Only your kingdom is the one that's going to stand. Father, help us not be like the chief priest there that said, we have no king but Caesar. Because, Father, it's too easy for us to put somebody else on the throne of our heart rather than you. But we know that Jesus really is the only way. And your truth is so evident in him. And the life that he wants to give us, Father, is everlasting. Help us to embrace it. It's in his name we pray. Amen.